So it's Epiphany season, and uh, for the f- past several weeks, you've been hearing sermons about the life and teaching of Jesus. Epiphany is that aha season, as week after week, the sermons of this season are designed to reveal things to you about Jesus that perhaps are difficult to see, the peeling back of the onion, as it were, and the stories of Jesus, his his birth, his his baptism, the, his childhood, when he, when he went back to his hometown. Uh, Phil preached a sermon yesterday, or last week, about the, the confusing and conflicted nature of relationships that even Jesus was subject to as things got a little out of hand when he went back to Nazareth. Um, so in the Epiphany season, you are invited to be open to adjusting your lenses, to maybe seeing something you didn't see before, hearing something you hadn't really heard just the same way before. It is this idea that that our lives of faith are never grounded just completely and unchangingly, that we learn our whole lives long. And the love of God is like that. It comes to us again and again and again. My sermon this morning um, is about leadership. Um, Last week, Phil preached a sermon on the story of Jesus going to his hometown, and he had a little problem with leadership, and he goes, you know, a leader is not really accepted in his hometown. You all know me, and it gets kind of complicated when you're you're trying to lead people. My brother was here a few weeks ago. Did any of you see him when he went like this? No. See, none of you do that, but my brother thinks that's hilarious. Anyway, <clears throat> what you might not have picked up last week, when Phil was preaching about Jesus preaching at his hometown, he made a couple of references to Scripture. He talked about uh, in the Old Testament there was a famine, and only one person was miraculously fed, and it was, didn't have to be a member of the synagogue. And then how back in, uh, there was a time when, when uh, Naaman was a leper, and he was healed. None of the other lepers were healed, but Naaman was, and he, wasn't, he was from Syria, yeah, so he, wa- he wasn't a part of the people of God, but he was healed. So Jesus referenced this, and <clears throat> I had looked at this passage uh, several weeks ago. I said, you know, I, I think we need to unpack Jesus' sermon a little bit, in particular the story of Naaman. So I want to read to you the story of Naaman. It's in 2 Kings, the fifth, um, the fifth chapter. I may jump around a little bit because it's a long story, and, and, Phil, and Bill took up some of my sermon time, so... I know. <laughs> Hear the story of Naaman. Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now, the Armenians, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman heard this, and then he went in and told the king just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king said, Go then, and I will send along with you a letter to the king of Israel. 
So he went with him, taking 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter from his king to the king of Israel, which read, when you get this letter and it reaches you, I know I have, you need to know that I sent you my servant Naaman that you may cure him. <clears throat> then the king of Israel was greatly perplexed and tore his clothes saying, am I God to give death or life to this man who sends me word to cure a man of leprosy? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent a messenger to the king and said, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and his entourage and halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. <clears throat> Elijah sent a messenger out of the house to say to Naaman, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would at least surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hands over my spot and cure the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Abna and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not have washed in them and not come all this way to be cleaned? And he turned and he went away in a rage. But his servant approached him and said to him, uh, Father, if the prophet had come and commanded you to do some difficult thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, go and wash and be cleaned? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so this month in February, we're, 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 we have a theme for this month. It's called 2020 Vision. Uh, it's an invitation to the congregation to be thinking about um, you know, the lenses that we might put on as we look into a new year, and where we might want to be next year that we aren't right now. So you are going to be hearing each week in February from the leaders of this congregation. Um, this morning you heard from your lay leader. Say that, lay leader. Um, now, I don't know what you feel about your lay leader, but you have one. Last week, you heard from your associate pastor, Phil Woodson, in his sermon about Jesus. And, you know, I don't know what you feel about your associate pastor, but you have one. And now today, I'm up here and I'm preaching to you from this Old Testament story about a leper who was healed. And I don't know what you uh, feel about your pastor, but I know that you have one. What I'd like to put before you is the idea that you have leaders and you are free to think about them anything you want, but you have them. What the three leaders that I just described to you uh, in myself and in Phil and in Bill is you have three people who have something in common about the church. 
They have all, including myself, acknowledged, cultivated, and submitted to a relationship with God through organized religion. What that really means is um, we have a district superintendent. Danny's your district superintendent. Your district superintendent. And we have a bishop. Bishop Lewis is your bishop. So we have a district superintendent, we have bishops, we have our book of discipline, and we have the organization of our collected denomination to which we have all cultivated, acknowledged, and submitted a relationship. Now, one of the things that is very important to me about this idea of spiritual submission is that I don't think anybody submits to institutions, organizations, but we submit to people. Now, if you're in the military and you are given an order, you know, think about being a corporal who gets an order from a sergeant, who got his order from a lieutenant, who got his order from a major. You know, I mean, that's just really rough stuff. But all of these ideas of organized people, they're about people hearing from other people. Organizations, denominations, institutions are people. For me personally, uh, in my journey of faith, that meant that my relationship with Jesus has led me to submit my life to the church through bishops, superintendents, mentors, uh, lay leaders, camp counselors, Sunday school teachers, nursery attendants, um, youth group leaders. All these people in my life to whom I have looked that I might be connected to God and I have seen something in them that has caused me to say, I want what you have. That sense of the peace of the presence of God, that sense of inspiration, that sense of prophetic clarity, whatever it is, they're all different, but it's something in them that I see of God and I desire it. And I know that it's through a relationship with that person whether they represent the youth group or the denomination or the army, that God's going to take me on a journey through my organized religion. God came into my life uh, not through some mystical, supernatural, transformative lightning bolt or earth-shattering poltergeist, okay? I, I, can't, I don't have a really whiz-bang story like that. I, I do have a story, however, of people time after time after time, who touched my life and inspired me through the relationships that they had with God that they allowed me to observe that I wanted to imitate. And so these are the leaders in my life. Naaman came to Israel and he was seeking divine healing because he had heard from a servant girl who, by the way, would was captured and enslaved and working for his wife. Uh, but he had observed something in her that I don't know what it was. I'm, and this is where you, you use your imagination. Say you're a powerful general uh, up high in the government and, and you go home every night and there's your domestic life and there's your wife and your kids and there's this girl and there's something about her. Maybe she works hard or maybe she's honest or something about her. And she says, you know, there's a prophet in Israel who could heal you. Now, heretofore, Naaman had been up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, flipping channels, watching those infomercials, right? You know, buying whatever it is. He had to swipe his credit card. I got to get you 
because that's what people do when there's something about them that they wish were better. And so Naaman heard from this girl that there's a prophet in Israel. <clears throat> and he, he wanted to buy it. He wanted that. I don't know why. But he went to the king, and he, and he said to the king, he says, you know, I, you know I, I wonder if you could do this thing for me. I've heard this thing about a prophet in Israel. And the king goes, really? Oh, well, let's do it. And I'll write a letter. I'll give you your, your passport. I'll do all the things I can do to get you on your journey. And, and Naaman, then he marshaled all his armies or his, his entourage and um, used his earthly influence. He had a big wagon train and chariots and and uh, supplies. He had a royal decree in his hand. He used that political influence to get it, and he, and he rode into Israel with probably what was a pretty impressive entourage. And apparently Naaman was a pretty impressive physical specimen, a great warrior, a large man, very powerful. And he rode into Israel, and the king of Israel got this letter, and, this, and it, it, it he says, oh my gosh, I'm, I am in trouble. I can't cure this guy. And he's a big bully with this big long wagon train. He's going to get the king, his king to invade my country if I don't heal him. It was, a, it was a mess. But Elisha, in his home, probably a prophet's place, were usually kind of out away from things and not very impressive. We'll call it a large hut. He heard this and he sent it to the king, King, don't worry, send this guy out to me. So here comes Naaman with his entourage and his wagon train and his chariots and his guards and his gold and his silver and all the garments, you know. He shows up and he's at the, at the end of the way train and he says, I have arrived. There were probably some kind of trumpets, dun dun dun, you know. And, and he's knocking on the door. He says, go tell this prophet that I'm here and Elisha won't come see him. Elisha won't even come out of the house. And uh, that probably made Naaman a little, he wasn't used to being treated that way. But eventually, Elisha sends a servant, servant, and the servant says to Naaman, go and wash seven times in the Jordan. Is that it? Yes, go and wash seven times in the Jordan. Well, Naaman didn't like that. Now, the thing you need to know, and what I think is insightful here, is Elisha. I don't think Elisha just kind of, oh, by the way, well, what can I get this guy to do? Let's see if I can make this name and guy dance because it's fun to make powerful people uncomfortable and dance. We just love to see the powerful leaders uncomfortable and out of their element. I really don't think that's what Elisha was. I think that Elisha prayed. I think he might have fasted. I think he might have read scripture. I think he might have thought about his mentor, Elijah, and the work that Elijah had done in, in Israel with all the other nations around Israel, and, and that how Elijah had taken Elisha under his wing, mentored him, showed him the faith, um, was, was a great leader of others. I, I think Elisha sincerely sought God's will on what to do with this person with leprosy. So he says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, I tell you, I tell you that about Elijah and Elisha because Elisha 
knew what it was to have a leader that you look to. Like he stood on the shoulders of the one who went before him. He, he knew that his healing power or insight or wisdom or prophetic insight didn't just come from him. It didn't generate within him. It was passed down to him from others. He received it. He found himself telling a great and powerful man to go wash in the Jordan. And when Naaman heard this, he went into a rage. He goes, you know, I got rivers back home I could have jumped in. Why? I mean, he, he, he probably had all these reasons why he did not have to go through all this and, and, and how he'd gone to this great effort. Why should he wash in the Jordan seven times when he could have done the same thing at home? If Naaman wanted to know the healing power of God, apparently he was going to have to do what this Elisha guy told him to do. Spiritual traditions all around the world of many different kinds follow this pattern of Rabbi Iman, wise person that... that receives in a lineage from other wise people and pass it on down the line. It's, it, it seems to be a very common idea that spirituality, especially spiritual maturity, is not something that just comes to you out of the air or your own insights or your, even your own prowess, but it is passed on to you by other people. Um, and I think that's a really important part of the humility that we come to God with. In just a few weeks, uh, there's going to be a bunch of United Methodists meeting in St. Louis for our called conference. Now, the thing about this conference, Methodists have, have conferences every four years. And about two years ago, we had a conference. And at that conference, all the people who were there, there were, there's about 50% clergy types, and then there's 50% lay types. And then there's these bishops who they don't get to vote, but they're just there. Well, this conference got all wrapped around the axle like they have for a long time talking about human sexuality in the church. And faced with the conflict that, that was pitting people against each other in behaviors that were far from godly, somebody had the wisdom to go to a microphone and say, I'd like to make a motion that we ask our leaders to find a way forward. And so that was done. Somebody went to a microphone and said, Bishops, you're here. You're watching all this. We are obviously at an impasse. We have a very complicated uh, and long-standing issue. Will you lead us? And oh my gosh, I, I wish I was there to see the bishop, like the king of Israel. Oh my God, we are in trouble. But the long and short of the bishop says, okay, we'll do it. And that's why we have this meeting in a couple of weeks. The bishops have brought a way forward. They call it the one church plan. And so uh, the church is going to gather in St. Louis to receive this message from the bishop. Uh, you and I and many other people, like Naaman, probably have a few opinions about these issues. We have very complicated and impressive background and stories of our own surrounding this issue. In life and death and marriage and love, right? We all have our stories. We're just like Naaman. We got our own background and we got the things we're certain of. But also, like Naaman, <clears throat> we may be told to go wash in the Jordan seven times. That, that may be what it is. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. And 
people are going to respond, probably like Naaman. Wait a minute, you know, this and that and the other, and I could, I got my own rivers, I could wash seven times, six times, four times. How many times do you want me to wash? We would have our own reasons why it doesn't make sense to us, why there's no bet that there's there's probably better ways, or there are rivers that are just as good we could go in, or why we have to. Uh, while we might have a better insight or experience or an idea or credentials or influence that indicate a better way than the way that the bishops are suggesting to us, I'm sure. But really what, what I have come to in my own spiritual journey on this and the way I have experienced being led by mentors and godly people who have influenced my life is just really this. Will you go down to the Jordan? And wash seven times. Will you be led? Will you hear the man of God who didn't even come to see you but just sent a messenger to you? Because I don't think any of us are going to St. Louis. I don't know, maybe you are. But you know, it's, it's not going to come directly to us. Just sent a messenger and say, Go wash in the Jordan seven times. And I pray that the United Methodist Church will remain whole. It was the thing Naaman was seeking. He wanted to be made whole. And Elisha gave him something to do. He said, do this. And so as we consider our own spiritual journeys and all the complicated things about leadership, and oh my gosh, in the news today about our state and the leaders that we elect in this nation and in our city, I mean, it's, it's bad, okay? But it really does come down to a question about yourself. Will you be led? Jesus tried to lead us. When you think about it, as Bill, Bill referred to, um, he, threw a lot, he threw a lot of laws and litigious and uh, legalistic ways away. He said, love God and love your neighbor. But he did say, do this. When you're together, I want you to break bread. And I want you to share a cup. Will you do that? Would you join me in the invitation to Holy Communion?